Hi, I'm Mike Gabriel. This is Mike'd Up Pod, a podcast where we talk a wide range of topics from business, health, lifestyle, but most importantly, the topics of life, growing, learning, self-awareness, and leading. This is where we get the best of the best who tell their experiences. On episode 36, I bring in a friend who is quite the historian as he is all over this most current conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia. His name is Gaden Kazanch. Armenia is finding themselves fighting for their land once again. He gets us up to speed on what exactly is taking place there. I got to tell you, man, back in high school, history wasn't really my favorite subject, so I got you on here for all that stuff. <laughs> Thank you, bro. <laughs> you know, for those who are listening who, who aren't familiar with the history between Armenia and Turkey, the genocide happened in 1915, but things were starting to kind of happen prior to that, right? Yeah, there was brewing in from, let's just say, 1850s onwards. That's when a lot of conflict between Armenians and, and Turks started happening in the Ottoman Empire, culminating into what we know as the Hamidian massacres in the 1890s, which some people estimate 300,000 people died then. And that was even before the genocide. So, yeah. So then in 1915, Turkey invades Armenia and kills 1.5 million Armenians, right? Armenia was part of the Ottoman Empire at that time. So it's not necessarily invading. Armenians were Ottoman citizens. And then they just, you know, depopulated the Armenians there. They sent them on a death march into the deserts. And yeah, it's estimated that 1.5 million people died due to this, to the genocide. Fast forward to 2020 now. The same thing is kind of happening. Like it's it's well, I guess in mid July there was a would you call it a conflict between the two? Well, in general, it's a conflict. Like the Karabakh conflict has been a conflict for for decades, if not centuries. So yes, it was a conflict. But what happened in mid July was rather like an overt type of action by the Azeris along the Armenian and Azerbaijani border, not the Karabakh border but the Armenian and Azerbaijan border. And that, and I, I must emphasize that Karabakh and Armenia are technically two different political entities. So, yeah, that conflict now spurred this conflict that we're in right now, that we find ourselves in a couple of months later. Where is this happening exactly? This is happening in Karabakh, what we're seeing right now. Most of the fighting you're seeing right now is along the line of contact, is what they call it. And the line of contact is when all the Azeri troops are lined up face-to-face with the Ar- Armenian, actually, Karabakhi troops within the Karabakh's territory. And how far so, is this from the capital of Armenia, Yerevan? When I went in 2006, it was like a seven-hour bus ride. Do you think they would invade yeah. into Yerevan? I doubt that. As of now, I, I highly doubt that. For one, uh, remember that Armenia has like security alliance agreements with bigger its bigger neighbors like Russia. There's this uh, security agreement called the CSTO, and that was signed in 1992. And it's basically the Russia Russia's form of NATO, where they incorporate different countries and if anything goes wrong with those countries they could just say hey i i I need security assistance and they will help as to how much russia is going to abide by that agreement you know i I don't know but in some ways at least is a deterrence for azerbaijan to invade armenia 
So if you were there in Yerevan right now visiting, would you feel safe? I wouldn't feel safe, no. You would not? No. Well, able-bodied men from the ages of 18 to 55 all have to report to the military registry. Uh, basically, if you're a citizen of the country and you're a male up until the age of 55, you have to report to your local military bureau to assess your capabilities because there's different levels of soldiers, right? There's uh, soldiers that never served, there's soldiers that are that have served, there's soldiers that have some sort of expertise. So they assess that and then see if you're ready for combat. You say you're if you're a citizen of the country, you live in the United States of America, but you have dual citizenship, and that is in Armenia as well, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you were there, would that then be considered that you'd have to go in and report and fight for the country? Yeah. Uh, again, I I doubt that would be a consideration for me. I doubt they would even consider me to fight right now. They're they're prioritizing, but yes, I would probably have to maybe even register to a to a military office. Is that the reason why you personally wouldn't feel safe? Me personally, yes, but also just the general environment uh, for anyone over there because right now it's martial law too. Mm -hmm. So basically the military has been given extraordinary powers within the country to conduct its, its affairs. And flights are being canceled left and right. Uh, you have a war going on on the other, like not too far away from you. In general, the environment just doesn't feel like a normal safe environment i would say hopefully it won't this won't last forever so why obviously. is this why is this happening now is this purely for land again i mean yes it's for land so azerbaijan the thing with karabakh is it's not a recognized territory so ni neither has armenia even recognized it because there is I, I don't know why, actually. I mean, there are reasons, but no one could pinpoint us to one one reason. But no country in the world has recognized Karabakh as its own in independent country. So what Azerbaijan is doing in their own through their own justification is restoring their territory because they believe since Karabakh is not a recognized state, they're illegally occupying the country. That's how they they view the scenario, and they th th their whole legal rationale is that yes we need to take out this entity within our country and uh, restore our uh, territorial integrity so there's that but uh, this conflict has been ongoing in its current state for decades now there's been various ceasefire violations of, along the line of contact a lot of armenian soldiers have been sniped for no good reason other than them treating them, uh, Azari is treating these these young little soldier, young soldiers as uh, target practice and etc. Mm. And ideologically, these countries are very very different. Azerbaijan is like a proto-fascist state. This country has been ruled by one family for more than two decades now, and this family has been increasingly being more and more authoritarian. It's been increasingly uh, hostile towards its neighbors, including Armenia. It's been, and at the same time, there's another thing going on, and that is that the economy has been pretty much plummeting in Azerbaijan because it's a very it's an export-based economy, and it, and it exports oil, and the price of oil has been going down for years. Even when yeah. uh, the genocide happened, for years the Turks wouldn't admit that it happened. But when Erdogan comes out and says that he's gonna basically finish what was started. It's kind of admitting that it happened, right? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, they tend to have some Freudian uh, slips sometimes like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, what Erdogan has been, er- Erdogan has his own aspirations, right? He wants, he thinking uh, in grandiose terms, as in, I want to establish a neo-Ottoman empire and etc they he wants to establish networks in in the balkans he wants to have a foothold in libya a foothold in syria a foothold in the mediterranean a foothold in the caucasus uh this the, the man's the man's being expanding his influence unchecked and armenians are in the way of that right so this is the same story that's been repeating throughout history for, for hundreds of years, the Armenians are an only barrier for the Ottomans, to, uh, well, the Turks, uh, another Freudian, Freudian slip, but it's a slip <laughs> by me, uh, to basically continue that policy and establish that, that empire that they've always dreamt about. Prime Minister of Armenia, Pashinyan, came out and said he was pretty furious today. Did you see that video of him? He was kind of screaming and uh, saying he'd take a bullet. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he's, he's very charismatic. And he, mm-hmm. in, in, whenever, especially when he speaks Armenian, because in other languages, I, I see him dumbed down a bit, mm-hmm. like in English. He focuses too much on, on saying the right thing and stuff. But mm-hmm. in Armenian, he's highly charismatic, and that's why people love him. And that's why he's, he has so much popular support, one of the reasons. Do you think the U.S. Uh, yeah. will step in and do anything about it? No. Trump says, straight up said uh, Erdogan's a good guy. Trump has a, a, a tower in Baku. There's a Trump tower in Baku. And uh, there, was a, there was a rather vague statement that Trump made uh, on the podium, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago. Uh, he was like, uh, we're looking into it strongly. And then he goes about says, uh, oh, we have many friends in the region. And then he says, and we're, we're working to, to solve the matter. And what I asked myself, what the, the interesting part about that the, was that he says we have many friends in the region. We have to ask ourselves, which friends is he talking about? Because this guy talks with Erdogan twice, at least twice a, a week, praises him, says he's a good guy. And I think... If anything, Erdogan has manipulated him to such a degree that Trump totally disregards the conflict. This this is the same trick that Erdogan pulled off on Trump when it came to Syria. But yeah, I digress. Um, but yeah, I don't see the United States stepping in anytime soon. No. Why, why do you think this is happening now? Is it just is it a bigger issue now that now we're paying attention to it, or is this hap- has this been happening for a while? There's so many variables. Obviously, this has hap- been happening for a while, but Azerbaijan has. Uh, so back to Azerbaijan and how it, it solves its its trying. To, it, it looks at its affairs uh, internally. Aliyev is a man that knows how oppressive his regime is. So authoritarian governments, what they tend to do is, is create a fifth column. And the fifth column in this, in this case is, are the Armenians. So don't blame me for all the problems you have. Don't blame me for all the, the, the economic uh, crisis that you're, that, that you're now facing or the oppressive uh, methods of my governance. Look, the, the real problem are those Armenians over there. So it's a way of deflecting what's happening in the country of Azerbaijan, away from him and towards 
the Armenians. And this has created a, an environment in Azerbaijan which has become more and more fanatical. So the more and more problems these people face in Azerbaijan, the more they want to blame Armenians. The more they want to blame Armenians. So what are they blaming them? Uh, what are they blaming them for? I mean, they're blaming them for oh, the the problems in our the economic problems is that because Armenia is occupying our country, hmm. or uh, all of these uh, problems that we face in the world when we want to expand and, and create networks and and business deals. Oh, the Armenians are always try are are trying to get in the way and etc. There is no rational response to 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 the question yes because it's not a rational thing that they're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just saying that the general sentiment has been increasingly anti-Armenian. That's mm-hmm. that's what you should take out of it. But but on the other hand, you have a country like Armenia that's the exact opposite of Azerbaijan, that had that had in, in 2018 a very popular popular uprising against an, a, a regime that was anti-democratic, and uh, so you have a country like Armenia that has the fastest GDP growth in all of Europe, and that's an IMF estimate. Six percent GDP growth in the first year that Nikol Pashinyan took office. Wow! On top of that, you have a tech se- sector that's growing exponentially. You have uh, Freedom House saying that Armenia is becoming way more democratic. Uh, you have all of these things that are going in Armenia's favor. Oh, by the way, something important too is that the military budget of Armenia has doubled, has increased by by a substantial margin margin because all of the corruption tackling that Nikol Pashinyan and his government did ultimately allowed more revenue coming into the coffers of the state okay so uh, all that m- revenue money is going into the military budget armenia's military is becoming more and more stronger and they're even producing kalashnikov rifles wow. at this point uh, this past uh, that was a news article that came out like eight, eight six seven Eight months ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the, 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 so this is the, like the clash is is kind of inevitable in that sense because one, on one hand you have a country that's that's losing its power, and on the other one gaining its power, and so Azerbaijan wants sees this as a kind of uh, threat to to the status quo. You know, they say everything comes to an end, but I feel like this is going to be around for generations to come. Yeah, it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I mean, there are some types of solutions that are on the table, some types of proposals that are on the table. For example, international peacekeepers would be very, very helpful to monitor the the front lines so that there's no issue regarding uh, ceasefire violations and etc. What about Russia, Garin? They got to step in, right, If, if it comes down to that? So that that's where things get interesting because Russia is legally binded to Armenia when it comes to that CSTO deal, mm-hmm. the the Security Alliance deal. But uh, Russia is not legally bi- binding to Karabakh. It doesn't even recognize Karabakh. You can't have a legal. You can't protect a re- an entity you don't even recognize, mm. or you know. So that's where things get a little uh, tricky. And if there's anything that Ru- Russia has to do in terms of uh, sending a, a a peacekeeping force there, it has to do it at the consent of Azerbaijan because it's Azerbaijan's internationally recognized territory. So, look, I don't believe that it should be internationally recognized by Azerbaijan. Obviously, I'm just saying that that's just how it's viewed in the in the in the legal framework of of the the world right now. But you're so. but you're saying if these guys come in and invade Armenia, 
Russia wouldn't step in and help? That's the thing. Uh, uh, it's upon Armenia's request. Let's see. Uh, it, mm. our, uh, Russia might step in and, and it has a legal obligation to do so. Russia has a lot, uh, and not only a legal ob- obligation, but an economical o- obligation because much of uh, many things in the Armenian economy today, the utilities, the electricity, the, tele- the telecommunications, they're, they're all Russian-owned. If Most of it's Russian-owned. So, I mean, why would you have anyone else come and disturb that for you? Why would you have Turkey take over that market? Why would you have Turkey take over that country or Azerbaijan take over that country? You wouldn't want to do that. A couple of other interesting facts. Uh, Russia has troops in between Turkey and Armenia. That's a big, bold statement, too. Like, right when Armenia became independent, Russia stationed troops there, and and the Russians have several outposts there. That's a a very bold statement to Turkey. Mm -hmm. And another important a variable is that Russia has a military base in Armenia. Uh, that's that's something that is really important for Russians because they want to safeguard their their troops over there. They want to safeguard their air base over there. That's good to know. That's good. Beyond this podcast and our conversation, where can everybody listen and learn more about this conflict? Mm, that's that's a good question. So there are several books out there that uh, really highlight this conflict very well. One of them is a very, very well-made book by this man named uh, Thomas DeWall. It's called The Black Garden. And it's a very neutral observation of the conflict that, you know, it talks about the historical aspect of it. And then it gets into the the various developments that led to the war and, of course, the war itself. And it's very neutral. So it gives like a back and forth type of argument. Like, let's say Azari's committed a, a massacre and then Armenians have a counterclaim and then the Azeris talk about that counterclaim, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, in general, it's just a nice uh, neutral obser- book and it's very well written. Thomas DeWall is a hell of a writer. So there's that. Is this, uh, is this book on the history though of the genocide? And No, it's, a, it's, it's, it's basically the history of, of the Karabakh conflict. Oh, wow. I'm not sure if it, yeah, it, it doesn't touch on the genocide much, but it's a very well made book. And there's another book by Sambil Karapetian, and this is for uh, this. This man was, I would say, one of the best historians that Armenia had to offer. Unfortunately, he passed away this past February. Because what this guy did is, once Karabakh got in the, its independence and when they won the war, this guy went into Karabakh, and he basically jotted down any any building, any church, any wall, any bridge. And he wrote about it and who made it, who, who, who made that bridge, for example, across that river, who uh, built that church. And, he, he, and then he publicized it. I believe it's called Armenian Cultural Heritage in Karabakh, the book. And it's in English. It's not an easy find. So if anyone uh, wants to uh, find it, I, it, it would be found in an Armenian bookstore, I believe. But if, if anything, you guys could just uh, DM me and I will... Uh, give you a place to find that book cool we'll put your um, instagram username in the show notes and then what about like you know updates on social media what are some twitter accounts that you follow there are a lot of outlets out there that you can learn more about the developments uh, considering the developments one of them uh, i was checking out the other day is massispost.com m-i-s-s-i-s post.com 
And they give live updates uh, pretty much hourly, sometimes minute by minute. On that website, it says on the top live updates, you just click on that and then it, it refreshes for you and it, and it just shows you uh, what's going on. I found that very useful, that website. Is that on Twitter, so this, Godin, or is that a website? No, no, no. That, that That's actually just on their website. Okay. Yeah. it's It constantly updates. They, they're, they're doing a very good job. That's in terms of news. There's also, you know, the, the stuff on the official level, which you would you would have to refer to, like the the, the prime minister's account of Armenia, Nikol Pashinyan's, or the defense minister's Twitter account, for example. They constantly update stuff and they give official numbers as to how many people, unfortunately, died or or, or were wounded and etc. So there's that. And also, I don't know how much of your uh, Listeners uh, use Reddit, but Reddit is a great, great uh, source for information. The R Armenia has a has a mega thread on uh, the conflict, so you could just keep refreshing that, and you could just learn uh, what's happening uh, minute by minute when it comes to Sweet. comes to it. Great, great yeah. info. So, yeah. uh, I, like I said earlier, I think we both agree that, unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be an end to this anytime soon. So, we're going to probably have some updated news in the next couple of weeks, at least. If not, man, the next days, you know, um, leading know. up to who knows for how long. So, if you can, if you got a few minutes to come back on and update myself and everybody else, uh, I'd appreciate that. Of course. No problem, Mike. No problem. Awesome. And uh, hopefully, peace will prevail in the region. You know, there's still a lot of people who aren't familiar with the 1915 genocide. Uh, the one that the Turks perished 1.5 million Armenians. Still today, a genocide that the Turks won't admit to doing. I can tell you today that my grandfather was a survivor. He was just a child who fled from his family. His parents told him and his siblings to separate in hopes they'd see each other again. They didn't. My grandfather lived till he was 96 years old. He lived to tell the story. There's recordings of him and several hundreds of others who lived to tell their story. That generation was tough, man. They were strong. They just don't make them like that anymore. In 2004, I was headed back from a Kings game. I was down the street from my house. The police were around a man on the ground. It was my grandfather. He was hit by a car. How I knew it was him, I, I saw his hat laying on the ground. At 96 years old, he was headed to his local church to play backgammon and cards with his buddies. That walk was about a mile. Through all of the turmoil and adversity that he went through, he gets hit by a car and dies of internal bleeding. He was just a special human. Because of him and millions of others who were able to survive, most of us are here today. We're here carrying the Armenian traditions, the love, the compassion, the dance, the language. It's a special little community that we all hold. By the way, a, a movie I enjoyed that was on the Armenian genocide was the movie called The Promise. It was on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it should still be there if it's not. I'm sure you can find it, watch it. It's a well-done, informative movie. God bless all those men and women fighting for our homeland right now. It's quite amazing when people just, you know, they stand up in the toughest of times without any questions or hesitations. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. God bless you. And thank you for making me a part of your day.
It means the world to me. Until next time, folks, I am Mike Gabriel. This is Mike Up Pod. No wasted days. Let's go. Let's go.